Good morning. I'm back. Hello. <laughs> Thanks. This is um, Violet Jean. She rocked the hour and 15 minute car ride. She just slept the whole time. Say hello. <laughs> she's, she's just sleeping. Um, it's good to be back. I have a few dates for you for holidays. So if you want to pull out your phone or a pen or pencil, I'll put a PowerPoint slide up and then I'll be making an announcement on Instagram and Facebook um, and our newsletter. But I just want to give you a heads up because I can't believe it's November already. It's crazy. So for Thanksgiving week, uh, we'll, we'll, we will not meet. So there will be no Bible study the 22nd. Um, and 23rd if you go to Wednesday, North Hills. Then we will be back um, the 29th, the 6th, and the 13th. So we'll have three more weeks of Bible study and then we will be off. The last day will be 13th for Christmas. So then we will take a break from December 20th um, and we will return on January 10th. So you'll have three-week break. So January 10th is when we'll resume for, for the, from the holidays. That'll give you a little bit of time because the third is like two days after New Year's. So one more time, um, 22nd, we will be off for Thanksgiving. And then the 20th of December through January 3rd, we will be off. We will resume on January 10th. And I'll keep making an announcement um, every week and put it up here for you. Um, I think that's all I have. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed to YouTube or Shannon's podcast, you can catch up there. Um, it will be on those channels. Uh, if you do not follow her on Facebook, make sure you go to Facebook, Mary Shannon Ministries. And then her Instagram is It's Mary Shannon. Um, I will post some content. She had a photo shoot last week. She probably doesn't want to tell you that. So we have some new photos coming out. So if you saw it on Instagram or Facebook, um, she had a cute little new photo. She had like six outfits. So she looks real good. She sent me like, I like these 20 and we took like 200 and I was like, there's, there's more that they're good. Um, so you'll see some new content from her, which will be fun. Um, but that's all I have. Thanks for welcoming me back and enjoy Daniel. Sweetest little girl I've ever seen. I hate getting my picture made. Is anybody else with me? If I look like my picture, my feelings are hurt. Does anybody ever feel that way? Like you get ready, you look in the mirror, you think, okay, this will work. You, and then you get a picture and you're like, I thought I was cuter than that. I, and here's the thing, you guys. I am not critical of you. I think y'all are darling. And people will say, oh, I'm like, you're the cutest thing I've ever seen. What are you talking about? Why are we so mean to ourselves? It is the truth. I can criticize every little ounce of everything. We are crazy people. Okay, last night, um, I'm in a ponytail for a reason. Because I didn't go to bed till like 1 in the morning last night. Uh, I went to see Jordan Peterson last night. And if you don't know who he is, you need to look him up. Um, he is probably one of the smartest minds of our time. And he is a clinical psychologist. He's Canadian. Um, he has taken the world by storm. He has really captured the hot hearts of the millennials. Um, he's written uh, a book, uh, 12 Rules for Living an Antidote to Chaos, was the thing that kind of um, at least got my attention and the attention of the world. But uh, he is so smart. I could sit there and listen to him for hours and hours and hours. And my friends are like, uh, I only understood every fourth word that he said, and um, it was the most amazing thing. It's like watching an ancient philosopher on stage put his head down and walk at the beginning back and forth, and you just hear his mind go. And um, he is, uh, he's done a lot on, I, I've seen a, tr a personal transformation in him over the, <clears throat> over the past three years. Um, as he went through some personal tragedy, 
um, with his wife. Uh, she had cancer and he had um, mental health issues and things like that. And so there has been a, a brokenness and a softness I've seen in his stuff. And um, really, I think, I think the Lord has completely grabbed his heart personally. And so when you see that combined with the smartest mind you can imagine, it is unreal. Um, he's written some new books. He's done um, on November 25th. He's coming out with an Exodus project where he analyzes the book of Exodus. I'm going to love that. He's done Genesis, which is amazing. And um, he just got back from, he said, from Israel. And he was with Ben Shapiro. He said it was like having a conversation with a machine gun. And, um, but he said he is the nicest guy who's ferocious. I'm like, it was, I was started laughing. I don't know if you listen to Ben Shapiro, but anyway. So he did a couple of documentaries there, but it was so good. But we didn't get home till late. And it was one of those when you're sitting there listening, like you're exhausted after. And so um, anyway, I could not get myself out of bed this morning. So it's Ponytail City. But now I'm about to teach you, which I'm going to be way down here compared to, uh, isn't it wonderful? Even if you only understand every fourth word to be in a building with someone that cerebral, like someone that brilliant. And you're just like, wow. And even then, God, your thoughts are so much greater than ours. And you're like, goodness gracious, uh, the knowledge of, of God, that truth. And I'm going to tell you, he talks about the brilliance of the scripture. And I love that when he sits there and he talks about it. And someone that smart says, the things I learned from the people I researched with Exodus, I will have to be pondering over the next decade. And if he's pondering it, yeah, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to be pondering it till I die, um, whatever it is. So anyway, it's so good. So look him up. Um, he, he's on all kinds of YouTube stuff, and um, his wife was the opposite of him. Like, she was so calm and precious, and she talked like this. And I thought, well, that's why it works. Because she is the calm to his storm. And he, when he was, he got questions last night at the end, which was so good. And at one point she goes, she didn't say anything. She just went, and he goes, oh, she says we're done. We're done. <laughs> and, we, and I thought, that's awesome. So anyway, it was so, so good. So if you ever get the opportunity to uh, go hear him, do it because it's good stuff. All right, speaking of good stuff. Oh, and another thing, today's voting day. All right, we, are, we have dual citizenship. Uh, we are citizens of the United States of America to where we vote for all of our elections, but yes, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. But that doesn't mean that we don't participate in our earthly one. And you vote... Uh, the integrity of your heart, and you go in there and do it, but vote. You have a voice, use it. And so there you go. I'm going to go right after this. I might have a sandwich first, but then I'm going to go right in. How many people have voted already? What am I even talking about? <laughs> that is amazing, you little early birds. Uh, I, so I'm walking in. They're going to see me. I'm going to go in and, and do this thing. So, all right. We'll turn to Daniel chapter 3. Pray for me. I have one more weekend to travel. I'm tired. And this is my last weekend. I'll be in Idaho, freezing my tutu off. And um, I'll be back. And, and uh, then we'll finish out the holidays. I heard some people at the table go, she takes that long? I'm like... Let me have a life, people. I need a break. Do you want me to be a wackadoodle when I get up here? Uh, yes. <laughs> I am a wackadoodle. Are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. So enjoy your holidays and your family and get everything cleaned up at the end. And then, you know, come back in January and we'll be good. All right. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. 
and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Anytime you see lists and lists and lists, it's, it means something to you. It's saying something to you. All right, we're going to look at it. This is a big deal. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of another list, the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Remember, that's how you greet a king. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, I don't even know what that is, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace, and who and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. <laughs> if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it is usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind, that's hilarious, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men went bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace, because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king, he answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, I wonder how near, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. 
Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nations, or languages that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That is good. All right. Well, I want you to notice something about the image. All right, we are not given much detail about the actual image. Do you notice that? You really don't know what the image is. You know the size and you know what it's made of, right? It is made, it's, it's, a, it's made entirely of gold, all right? It could be an image of their God. It could be an image of who? It could be an image of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, I think it's probably reasonable to assume that it has some relation to the chapter before as to why we now see him erect an image that is completely of gold, right? What, what do you remember about chapter 2? His dream of the image that was in the shape of a man and the head was gold and that represented who? Nebuchadnezzar, all right? So it's entirely of gold and it's 90 feet high. Now, I want you to let that sink in. I have no idea how high these ceilings are, but maybe three of these. But I will tell you this. Um, the Statue of Liberty from feet to crown is 108 feet. All right. It's not too crazy to think about them erecting an image or a statue of gods or kings. All right. Because I will tell you this one of the ancient wonders of the world was constructed in 280 BC and it's called the Colossus of Rhodes. Do you have that picture? We're going to put it up there. Okay. And it was in the island of Rhodes in the Aegean Sea. And this is, this is a, a rendering of what that would have looked like. Um, that right there is 108 feet. All right, so this is a massive image, massive image. Um, just so you know, the Statue of Liberty from the feet to the torch is 151 feet. From the ground to the torch, it's 305 so the Statue of Liberty is three times, from the ground to the torch, it's three times larger than the image that Nebuchadnezzar would have constructed. But he constructed one absolutely out of gold. And although we don't bow down and worship necessarily the image of the Statue of Liberty, think about it. She welcomes immigrants arriving from the sea. She is an image that embodies our national identity, right? We don't worship it, but if someone destroyed it, how would we feel? Y'all can talk to me. Yeah, maybe outraged, right? So whatever, the, my point is, whatever the exact image, okay, you need to understand what it's representing, this image is the embodiment of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar as the leader of Babylon. That's what these images are. So when you think about it in some ways, the Statue of Liberty is an embodiment of us as Americans, okay? So I need you to understand this is not a VeggieTale child story where we're headed, all right? Portraying human kingdoms, symbolizing national identity. Okay, verse 2 through 7. Let's review that just a little bit. Then King Nebuchadnezzar 
set to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. My goodness. What do you notice there? Lists, right? These lengthy lists of government officials. And do you understand that in that list, it's not, ev it's not only every um, appointed official like satraps and governors, did you notice that it was the judges as well? The judges and the ma all forms of government were brought together from all over the empire Every tongue, every it says every language, every nation. Um, this is to heighten the tension. All right. So when he lists all of these, you're understanding what a big deal is. They're heightening the tension, the feeling of danger towards the three friends who will soon be singled out. This list is saying what? Everybody. Every leader. Every, in our, it would be like for us, every elected official, every appointed judge, everybody, the empire entirely has come together and they are going to bow down. Through repetition, the narrator creates a scenario in which conformity is normative and disobedience is unthinkable. You need to let it sink in because we're so used to this being a kid story. Every power represented in the kingdom of Babylon has assembled. And they will bow down to this. They will proclaim their allegiance to Babylon. And when you see this, what it would be so massive and so formal, and then you think of these three men who refuse to do it, you can just hear the tension it's the same effect with the musical instruments. Why do you think the instruments are listed? Every instrument. Because we're realizing this is all about pomp and circumstance. All right? It is official. You're hearing official music, and they're all being expected to bow down. So this really isn't a children's story told by vegetables. It is a story that brings discomfort it involves the two subjects that we don't want to talk about when we go to a dinner party. What is it? Politics and religion. That's what this chapter is all about. Politics and religion coming together. There is enormous danger when we deify our own authority or our national identity. Okay, let me bring this home here. You may not be familiar with a guy by the name of Boldar Van, Boldar Von Chirac, I think is how you say it. You've probably seen pictures, if you look back at pictures with Hitler, because he was often with Hitler. He was a German politician who is best known for his role as a Nazi Party national youth leader. And he was head of Hitler Youth from 1931 to 1940 which, by the way, was the second highest political rank in the Nazi party. He was responsible for all the youth organizations in the nation, and he was also at one point made Secretary of State. So he was in Adolf Hitler's inner council. Nazi youth, look it up. See what they were determined to do. 
What do you think they were determined to do? Give them an identity and a united purpose. And it started when you were 10 years old. And on your 10th birthday as a male, you were investigated for racial purity. By the time your 13th birthday came around, you were eligible for what is called German young people. And you were committing to a life of dedication, fellowship, and Nazi conformity with minimal parental influence. What does that say? Brainwashing. All right. They were taking the young people and they were giving them identity and purpose and all of that. The center of all that was what? The Nazi party. All right. And parents did not have a say. I'm going to let your mind just go with that for a while of how you can apply that to today. Also, how you see that there's nothing new under the sun, what was happening to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with Babylon. Okay? Same today. If we can get the young mind away from parental influence, and we can begin to reprogram them at a young age and tell them their true identity and their true purpose. And all of that is the center of all of that is what a, basically a worldly empire worldview. That is what they're doing. By the time they were 18, then they would put, be put in, into the army. Okay, but listen, this is what I'm really after. He was interviewed by the London Times. And this is the quote that will just make you go, Mufasa. Um, One cannot be a good German and at the same time deny God. But an arousal of faith in the eternal Germany is at the same time an arousal of faith in the eternal God. If we act as true Germans, we act according to the laws of God. Whoever serves Adolf Hitler serves Germany, and whoever serves Germany serves God. And this is where we all cringe. The idea, this idea led to death on a scale that we had not seen. Whoever serves Adolf Hitler serves Germany, and whoever serves Germany serves God. The idolatry of national identity. Humans naturally join together for identity, security, and a certain way of life. This, honestly, this right here could be an expose on human idolatry of national identity. When we elevate our way of life, and we stamp it with divine authority. And then we go on to say that if you don't comply, you die. There's a problem. Babylon is being presented as the representation of the most powerful empire at the time. And Nebuchadnezzar has called the leaders from all parts of his empire to give their full allegiance to Babylon and to him, their military power, the culture, and their way of life. This is not about singing worship songs and bowing down to an idol. This is about giving their allegiance to a world power. Babylon gets to decide what is right and wrong. And Babylon is God. So swear your allegiance. I'm going to say that again. And I want you to sit in our world right now. I want you to think about it. I'm not going to bring you to conclusions. But let me read that statement again. Babylon gets to decide what is right and wrong. Babylon is God. We must swear our allegiance. I'm going to tell you what, we better be careful. Human kingdom represented by an image. Where do we see that? At the very beginning, right? What pages of the Bible? The first one, Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. And we have made man in our image. In our image, we have created him, both male and female. We have created them. And then it tells about the fact that as his image, we were given dominion over the earth. 
And so we were created, when we think about him in our individual self, we were created to be the image of God. But not only that, how we interact in relationship, that too was to be created to be in the image of God. In the Ten Commandments, God tells his people, do not put me in an image. Why? Well, first off, how in the world are you going to put the living God and represent him in any image, right? And he doesn't want them to confuse the created or distort the created and the creator. But the other issue is we were created to be his image. We were. He's like, don't, don't put me in an image. You were made in my image. Israel wasn't to make images of their God. They were to what? Be the image of their God. He's like, I have blessed you so that you turn around and become a what? A blessing. You were created. You are my nation that I have coveted myself with. I've made a promise with. I've entered into a marriage contract with. I have a relationship with. You were originally made in my image. Live out that image for the world. Don't put me in an image of stone. Be the image you were created to be. Remember the word I told you for image? I think I did. The Hebrew word, salem. It's, it's T-S-E-L-E-M. When it says we were made in his image, Salem, it's the word for image. It can be statue. Um, there's a root word in it uh, that means to shade. So it's the idea of like a shadow. You know what I'm saying? My shadow doesn't walk away from me and do its own thing. It stays right close. And it may not have every detail, but you can look at my shadow and tell it belongs to who? To me. And whatever I do, what? My shadow does. And so we were created to be in that close relationship, mimicking. We're mimickers. It's one thing Jordan Peterson talked about last night. We are deep mimickers. I mean, look at your children. What do they do? They mimic. You want to know why my son, I came to this conclusion, why my son was so good in sports. Not only was he good in sports, he can talk in every kind of accent, dialect. He can, if he's around you, he can walk like you and just razz you like you've never seen. He did that for all of his coaches at the end of the seasons. He would do like this roast and everybody would laugh because he could mimic you. The reason he could dance like you've never seen in your life is because he could watch something and he could mimic it. So sports, he would watch like the guy that had the best baseball swing in the world and he would sit there and he could mimic it and he could hit it. He, that, he was a mimicker. We were designed to be the ultimate what? Mimickers of God. We were created in his image. And so God's plan was ruling his world through image-bearing creatures. But what is happening is a distortion of that. Instead, we are erecting images of what? Basically, ourselves our own kingdoms and our own ways and ideologies and we're even stamping them with deity. That's what that quote was all about. We create the empire and ideologies that we want and then what do we do? We stamp them with deity to serve Adolf Hitler is to serve Germany is to serve God. Now I'm going to let you apply that in any way to our nation. I'm going to let you come up with that. Humans worshiping this image in the shape of whatever it is, possibly a human. But what does it represent? It represents humans creating a nation, an empire, and a culture, and then treating it as if it were God. Back to the original Babylon. Isn't that what they did? As image bearers, they decided they were going to rule because that's not what we do. It's who we are. And they were going to cancel God out. And instead, they were going to build an earthly empire um, with the same ideologies for security, the same language, and they were canceling God out because they were going to make a name for who? 
themselves. And what do we see right here? God split up the nations, but what ended up happening? We always come back to Babylon. What do we see today? I'll just leave that with you. Because in many ways, I see us once again. What do we do? We always come back to Babylon. Because we create earthly empires. Look at verses 8 through 12. Therefore, at that same time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever, you, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wow. Don't you love how they call them certain Jews? Are you reading that as derogatory like I do? So you're already seeing that attitude come to play with the Jewish people. And then they accentuate that you have appointed over. What are they upset about, honestly? That these certain Jews, these exile, these boys of exile, have really, in many ways, out, out sh- shown them. Is that a word? I'm from Arkansas. I don't know. I'm not Jordan Peterson. Um, and they don't like it. Because now they have been put as leaders um, a, in positions of power over the providences of Babylon, and they don't like it. And this is actually their motivation, is that they're coming and they are really um, accentuating the fact that this is an affront to Nebuchadnezzar. But look at how they connect three things. I want you to see it. Basically, they have disrespected you, all right? So the king, so they're saying that they have disrespected your personal honor, which that's going to, you know, really upset Nebuchadnezzar because he's drunk on his own power. And not only that, they do not believe or worship in what? Your gods. So this civic religion that's happening in Babylon, they're not buying into that. They're not a part of worshiping the gods. And they what? They are not bowing down to the image that you have created, which is the embodiment of the identity of what? Of Babylon. They've disrespected you. In many ways, they've disrespected God. And they definitely are not patriots. They have not bowed down to the image of Babylon. I would call this the unholy trinity. Right here. And so, he's outraged. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the jargon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He is livid. He is out of his mind. When someone is intoxicated with their own power, and they realize they don't have control, there is a rage and there is no regard for life. Can I just tell you? You can feel the intensity of this section. What, what list do you see there? The musical instruments, right? It's, it's almost like this is a trailer for a movie 
Or this is that scene, dun, 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 dun. If, if we could watch this movie and we would have that music in the background, our hearts would be thumping right now because this is bad. This is real bad. He says, who is the God? He is so drunk on his power. Who is the God who could deliver you out of my hand? He's like, you defy me, God help you. That's basically what he's saying. You defy me, God help you. He is making himself equal with God. What he is doing is he's actually issuing a rhetorical challenge to the heavens. And the fact is, he's about to be shot. Because someone's about to answer him. Right? Someone's about to give him an answer. Once again, God is going to invade the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because he is demanding his attention. He has already invaded his life once by how? Interpreting his dream through Daniel, and now he is about to invade it again. Listen to their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. My goodness. They're like, okay, well, we're not going to debate you. Um, we're not going to enter into a debate. We're not going to believe you're God or that Babylon is God. Um, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to swear absolute allegiance to the empire of Babylon. We're just, we're just not going to do it. If you want to kill us, all right. Our God's able to save us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down because the fact is you're not God. You're not. The nature of their rebellion is peace, conviction, and trust. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar is realizing he is not in control. Have you ever gotten to that place? This, this is the politest rebellion I've ever seen in my life. These guys are nice, which for someone who is drunk on their own power would be what? Infuriating. I was telling a story, and I'm going to be careful about it, but I remember there was a time with uh, Zach where I didn't know how broken he was. I, it, it was the first time that I fully saw, and, and if you don't know my story, uh, my son had post-concussion syndrome. He had CTE. He was one of the youngest athletes to ever be at such a late stage. And so his brain was betraying him. And so we went through two years of mental health that was um, unreal. And so when you read about players that go through this, I've seen it firsthand. Um, I saw my son, who was a peaceful, pretty compliant, funniest person you've ever met in your life, pretty straight-laced, to becoming, just coming undone. And this was the first time I realized how bad it was. And it was a scene where he was coming home. He was not under control. And he had put himself and a lot of people in danger and I was stunned. I'd never seen such. I was like, what? This, this isn't it. This isn't how we live. This, I've never, my kid, it was just shocking. I freaking loved my kids through high school. Like we, <laughs> they were the jam. I, I enjoyed them so much. We just had never experienced this kind of thing. And I remember being so mad because that is not how we roll. And I remember the next morning sitting him down and like coming at him in ways, I'm sure y'all are shocked, but my, my natural way, unless I 
in maturity, I've controlled myself, but my natural bent would be, no, this is what we're going to do. You're not going to do that. Like, I'm not the person that lets their kid just act like an idiot and thinks nobody else in the world is bugged. Do you get my drift? I would lean towards the other side. And so I, I had to learn and balance and, and change a lot of that about me. But I was like, um, what in the world are you thinking? Seriously? That's the choice you're going to make? I don't care. I went, what? I'm like... Do you realize what you could have done? Da, 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 da. I mean, I'm on it. I'm on a tear. I don't care. And I was like, what is happening? I can remember the fear that came over me looking at his eyes and realizing there was nothing behind him. Like he was done. He was empty. There was no, I couldn't find, I could always motivate Zach. Always. I really could. I could cheer and motivate him. I could figure out another way and challenge and motivate him. I, and all that's probably called manipulation, but in control. But I could figure out how to do it right. I kept the kid on the straight and narrow. All, I kept the kid on the straight and narrow all this time. And I realized, oh my God, I don't have any control over this individual. It was the most, it was scary. The fear that came over me of the state that he was in, um, all of it. But there was also a part that I had to work through of like this rage of, no, you are going to do what I tell you to do. <laughs> and he just politely went, no, <laughs> I'm going to kill you. <laughs> right? Am I the only parent that does that? Like, what in the world? And, or the fact, have you ever debated someone and they just nicely went, yeah, I'm, I just don't see it that way. I'm not going, how do you not see it that way? Right? And then you, or you choose, how about in our day and age, you choose to make a different decision for yourself and you walk in and the whole world comes after you because you're like, well, you can do what you want to do. You make that choice. That's fine. I've just chosen. I'm not going to make the same one you did. I'm going to control my body. I'm going to decide. that No, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't see it that same way. I'm not going to bow down. This is about control and fear. And I'm not going to bow down to it. And the rage that comes out of people, and the thing is, you're just, they're nice, right? They're being, this is the politest rebellion ever, and it enrages him. Here's the thing. He thought all men shared one absolute thing, the fear of death. And did you notice that the way he controlled was creating what? Fear of death. Ding, 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 ding. Man, we can enforce a lot of things when everybody thinks they're about to die. This whole fear of death. But here's the thing. He just met three men who feared something more than death. God. They feared God. In his thirst for control, He threatened them with something and they go, okay, well, you know what? If you kill us, that's fine. Our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. So you can kill us. But at the end of the day, Nebuchadnezzar what? Doesn't win. He doesn't win. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse maybe 28. I'm going to start in 26, Matthew 10. Jesus says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear, whispered, proclaim on the housetops. In other words, don't you worry. At some point, everything will be set right. Nothing is hidden from me. You do 
what I've can I've whispered in your ear, what I what I've told you, you speak it. And listen to this, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar just met someone, three someones, who feared God more than what? Than death. Because they knew that life was found in him. Look at verse 19 of Daniel. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. I love this. Did you see how it says, and his, basically, I think it said, did it say the expression of his face was changed? In other words, his attitude changed, right? But do you realize that that word, do you remember the word I taught you for image? Salem? It's actually that. The Salem of his face was changed. Okay? I thought that was so ironic. A king who creates this Salem, this image, which embodies Babylonian power and control, which he forces the entire empire to bow down to, all of them, everyone, but he can't control these three polite young men, and he can't even control the image of his own face. He can't control who? Himself, right? So he loses it. He literally unleashes, you guys. He is so volatile and impulsive. Are you seeing this in him? I mean, come on, one minute, he, is, he wakes up in a bad mood from a dream, and when they can't tell him his dream, he's ready to kill every wise man in his entire empire. And then Daniel reveals the dream. Now, he creates an image. Why? Because he's probably reacting to the interpretation of that dream, and he creates an image, and I wonder if it's an absolute defiance of the interpretation of the dream, which is the head of gold, and it's not going to last, that someone inferior to him is going to eventually conquer his empire, and he's like, the heck it will. I'm going to make an image out of all gold, and I'm going to rally. I'm going to make sure I have everyone's allegiance that no one turns against me, and so he starts to control out of fear, and you better bow down. And when these three guys don't bow down, and they're nice about it, he loses his junk. And he literally, in haste, right that moment, gets his toughest guys in an instant, doesn't even take off Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's hat. He ties them up, which is so funny, because do you see them causing any kind of violent rebellion? No, I find that interesting. Just let me say, I could ponder that for a while. When we stand up and have a voice, and then we get accused of all kinds of violence, which wasn't true at all, but let's go ahead and tie their hands because, you know, they've been so rebellious. They are the kindest, most peaceful uh, objection you could ever read in Scripture, in no way violent. But he ties their hands and then they go and they throw them into the furnace and the furnace is so hot, it kills his own soldiers, the ones who are allegiant to him. Nebuchadnezzar's anger is so hot that he has no regard for life. His fury and haste literally didn't consider the value of human life. When we are intoxicated with power, that is threatened, and we have no value in human life, people are expendable. Let that sink in. 
in wars, in whatever it is, when there is someone that is so thirsty for power and control, and that power is pushed against even in the most polite, peaceful way, what do we find? Someone intoxicated with that kind of power building an earthly empire trying to gain control. What you're going to see is they have absolutely no value for human life. They are willing to give the people who are allegiant just to prove a point. How many people have lost their lives because some power-hungry person just thought they were expendable? Because this is about world dominance. This is about the empires of men. Now do you understand, I'm not going to continue and I got more to teach you, but now do you understand so much more when Jesus says to Peter, put down your sword. If you start that way, see, I'm not building an earthly empire. It's not like that. Put down your sword. If you start that way, where, where does it end? That's not how we build my empire. We're not going to build it with the sword. We're going to build it by laying down our lives. It's the same with um, Abraham sacrificing Isaac. You have a God who seems to be asking him to do what the pagan gods do, and that is think that life is expendable and offer a son for a sacrifice. They did it all the time. That's where Abraham came from. They worshiped pagan gods. He was used to that. His God asked him to give his son. And what does God do? Disarms him. Takes the knife out of his hand. And instead, he provides a sacrifice. I'm going to tell you, this Bible that we read should be called a tale of two seeds or a tale of two kingdoms. Because that's what this is about. And we're going to see more and more. He's going to look up. And he, I love this. He says, wait, did we throw three people in there? Because I see four. And they're walking around unhurt. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. In, order, in other words, he truly sees that he appears to be a divine being. And then if you remember, they said, if our God delivers us, we won't bow down. Or if he doesn't, what? We won't bow down. So the question I want to leave you with is this. Did God deliver them from the fire? Nope. He didn't. He went in it with them. He brought them through the fire. And we're going to look at it because I don't want you to think Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did not suffer. Oh, they suffered. They suffered before the fire. They suffered before the fire. God is a God. This is my last thought. You're like, sure, Shannon. God is a God of deliverance, but he will not deliver us from making our own decisions. Do you know the agony that they went through? when they knew the situation that was coming and the wrestling they did inside to realize they could not bow down to this image, what could possibly happen to them? Standing before the king in peace and saying, no, we're not going to do that. Knowing what was coming, being bound, being thrown into that fire. The development of our character depends on the fact that we make our own decisions for God to decide for us would make him no different than Nebuchadnezzar. It's the same with children, is it not? I realized that that day was Zachary. When they're young, you can tell them what to do. Right? But then there comes a time when the development of their character means that they have to do what? Make their own decisions. And by doing that, you're going to see the growth of their character, whether you know, they make the right one or the wrong one. God is not going to deliver us from having to make our own decisions and he's not going to deliver us from the decisions we make. But he's going to be with us through it. 
And if we continue to try to control, there's no maturity and there's no growth. And at some point, they have to mature and grow and they have to gain faith muscles and they have to, because I will tell you this, the last statement I wrote was this, <clears throat> because God loves us, he wants us to grow. He will not save us from making our own decisions and he won't save us from the decisions themselves. But he does give us guidance, which partially is the accumulated experience of God's trustworthiness up to that moment. That's the guidance. The accumulated experience of God's trustworthy up to that moment. With every decision and every consequence and everything we go through, we are to grow and to understand that He is what? He is trustworthy and we grow in faith. And if we never let them do that, how are they going to grow in faith? And how are they going to mature? We want to save them all the time. And make sure they stay on the straight and narrow so that everything goes great and they can get to where they want to be. And at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you what I learned. I didn't have control over him. I don't have control over a human being like that. And I didn't have control over life and death. I didn't. But God does. And he's so trustworthy. And so he did not deliver them from the fire. They went in. He went in too. He was in that fire, and we'll look about how they came out. I think this is a pretty cool lesson on election day. Right? Just remember, listen. I'm a patriot. I love the United States of America. But I don't worship it. It is, it is not a God. It hasn't been stamped with deity for me to bow down to. And so I have dual citizenship. But my priority is the kingdom of heaven. And so I have to really stay close in with the vine because I believe my God is alive and speaks to me. And we all have free will, and He lets us have free will. And isn't that the beauty? Do you truly want to be conformed into one language and ideology and to where it absolutely takes away your freedom? We can't have our own freedom and then take away everybody else's. And so I think we need to go use our voice today, but we need to, we need to remember whom it is we truly serve. And that we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world that are living in all kinds of different governments. And they're staying true to the heavenly kingdom. And that is the point of Daniel, is it not? <clears throat> no earthly kingdom is going to rise up and be able to replace the heavenly one. Man is depraved with sin. We always want to come back to Babylon which is the archetype of God's kingdom in Revelations. And that's why. And so just re remember that. And also remember, you never see Jesus in the Gospels if He is the true image of God for us to see. You never see Him take up the sword. <clears throat> you don't. You see Him lay His life down. I'm going to just throw that out there to you. And, and let you ponder. That is God in flesh. That's who He is. These were the politest men. Oh, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm not going to debate you, King. Because I, I'm not going to bow down to you. I'm not going to bow down to this ideology. <clears throat> I'm not going to bow down to this empire. Because I worship someone greater than that. You can kill the body. But He can kill the body and soul. And so my allegiance is, the priority is my allegiance is to Him. And the good thing is, you get to learn how to play that out individually on your own. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for um, your word. Lord, I'm so infallible, and I just bring my thoughts forth and research and heart. And But God, you, you are the great counselor. The Holy Spirit will teach 
and uh, make us understand and will convict us in areas personally. So God, I pray that you would do that. I'm not capable of doing all that. But Lord, let this lesson sink in and let us get our face in this marvelous, wonderful book that you have given. I only touch the surface of all of what is truly in the words of this chapter. But Lord, I pray that we would trust you even when we hear the music in the background playing, the music that really can sway us, that can create fear in a scene, can create romance and passion in a scene. Do not let us get swayed by the music of the world, but let us stand firm on who you are and make us only show allegiance to one, you the one who laid his life down, the one who would never, ever think a life was just expendable. You have no need to grasp at power because all power lies within you. And you laid all that down to die for your people. I love you. May I serve you well in Jesus' name. Amen.